Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, and it's a special episode. It's an early episode. Uh, my name is Christopher Harris, aka the Gaffer. I'm joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnayer. Normally, as most of you would know, every week we we come in and talk about the TV coverage and what things we like about the, the commentating style and who has what as far as the latest streaming services. Well, something major happened on Sunday. All hell broke loose. And effectively, in the soccer world, a nuclear bomb was dropped. And that is, on this past Sunday, as all of us uh, know, is the the uh, announcement of the launch of a European Super League, the ESL. And there was a bunch of people on, on social media that uh, messaged us and said, Hey, Chris Kartik, go ahead and put together like an emergency podcast. We need, we need to get your viewpoints on this. And I said... Let's wait a couple of days. Hopefully by the time we normally record this podcast, normally on Wednesday, hopefully by then this whole thing will be uh, done, like basically dead in the water, DOA. And it's almost there. It's Tuesday that we're recording this, Tuesday evening. And Kartik, it looks like the European Super League or, or the Super League, as, as they were coining it, looks like it's it's going to not even begin, right? Yeah, it, it looks like it's uh, it's po- probably dead in the water now. They could always come back as we record this at uh, about midnight British Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, U.S. US Canadian Eastern Time on Tuesday night, the 20th. They could always try and come back with uh, some other, from some different clubs because, look, there are a couple of clubs that I think are financially leveraged to where they probably need this money, Liverpool being chief among them um, well Liverpool's also liverpool's yeah, yeah. out so liverpool's out all the english clubs have said okay we're done we're out okay so okay, so yes, so right I now as of recording this on tuesday again by the time people listen to this on maybe tuesday evening or wednesday uh, there may be some others that'll drop out but uh, all the english clubs are out um barcelona and well actually barcelona's on the way out atleti's on the way out so it looks like real madrid's and um, possibly the Italian teams would still be left. Effectively, what we end up with, Kartik, is a uh, International Champions Cup, <laughs> which is not what they wanted, I'm sure, of this. But um, 
And you can probably detect, listeners, a little bit of uh, joy and excitement in my voice. I'm actually really, really pleased that um, that, that this fell flat on his face. And uh, you mean, I, and really, it embarrassed the clubs involved. Kartik, let's, let's rewind a little bit, and, and let's just start off on the Sunday. Talk to us about why why would you be opposed uh, to a European Super League? What's what's the fundamental reasons why you you, you wouldn't have been uh, in favour of this in the first place? <laughs> uh, where do I start? You know, I, I've dedicated the last decade or more of my life to fighting for open systems. Uh, open. I, I don't like American sports anymore for a reason. Okay, closed leagues with uh, controlled competition. Do not interest me at all. And that's what American professional sports are. So uh, the beauty of football globally and the way it's structured in 98% of the countries, the three exceptions being the United States, uh, the four exceptions being the United States, Canada, India, and Australia. Uh, and those are all countries where football is, is, is a developing sport, right? It's not the established top sport. It is that you have open systems. It is the people's game. It is a working class sport, which uh, is often the clubs are held in collectives. They're community institutions. They are not like American sports franchises. Okay, American sports franchises pop up one day. They, they, they claim they have these deep roots in communities, but they don't. They have some oligarch owner who, uh, if, if, if that uh, he or she gets a better deal from another city, is going to relocate their, 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 their entity, their business entity, their commodity which is what it is, and they buy into a closed league. They spend however tens of millions of dollars to buy into a closed league. It's very inauthentic. It's very manufactured. It is an entertainment business. I, ex- I respect that. When Americans uh, like Alexi Lawless and others say it's an entertainment business, to them that is how sports is structured. But in Europe and South America and other parts of the globe where football uh, – when I say football, I'm talking about what we call soccer in the United States, uh, where soccer is the top sport. It is a community-based sport, largely supported by working-class fans. This is their passion. This is what – it is like a church in an American community or a school, a university, in a college town in the United States. That is what the football clubs mean to those communities. And I think American financiers, American professional sports owners, and a lot of American fans of sports – don't understand that and their misunderstanding and misinterpretation of what soccer is in europe particularly in england we're talking specifically about england i think we're going to talk a little bit about germany in this conversation too and as to why the german clubs uh never crossed the line and joined this uh this renegade league uh Again, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of that. And that fundamental misunderstanding, Chris, I think guides so much of what we end up talking about on this podcast and on our World Soccer Talk website. Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of uh, TV streaming discussion on this pod. There will be some, but not a lot. We will talk about in a little while. Uh, NBC's coverage of this incident, of, of this story that uh, developed this week, as well as Sky Sports, etc. We'll get into that in a little bit. But but that's the big difference, Kartik, is the difference between European sports owners and American sports owners. American sports owners are going in it uh, to to become richer than what they already are. In the in Europe, as one example, it's very rare that you, you're going to find an owner that's actually making money. It's more about, oftentimes, whether it's uh, even the former Blackburn Rovers uh, chairman or owner giving back to his community and saying, okay, I've, I've made my money in, in the steel industry. I'm going to go ahead and um, 
try to win a title with my club and, 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 and invest that money in that club. And knowing that he was going to, to not uh, be profitable, it was more about injecting things into his community as far as money, investment, and then hoping that uh, that would help the, you mean, the community uh, in general. And you have a lot of that. And the most important thing, I think, with all of this, Kartik, is um, it's not that the European system is better because in many ways it is flawed also. I mean, you've got huge incompetence on the financial side, which is why most of these, uh, you know, the dirty debt dozen are in the trouble that they're in now anyway, is because they're in so much debt, whether it's Barcelona with over a billion dollars in debt, Real Madrid and and, um, Manchester United in terms of the leveraged debt, so on and so forth, Tottenham Hotspur spending over, well, over a billion dollars, I think it was, for this stadium, all this debt... Uh, it's because of a lot of mistakes that they've made and splashing money in the transfer market, um, giving a, uh, a Jose Mourinho a uh, £15 million uh, pound, uh, severance in terms of firing him. There's a lot of mistakes that they've made. And, and that's one of the reasons, well, one of the major reasons that this package, this European Super League package, appealed so much to those 12 clubs is because they thought, OK, great. J.P. Morgan Chase coming in, J.P. Morgan, an American uh, financier, uh, offering up to, I think it was about about $4 billion to be shared among the teams. So hundreds of millions of dollars immediately grabbing that cash and helping to pay off some of the debt. Um, So it is a very risky business in not to say that the European system uh, is better, but, but overall, globally, and if we look at soccer as a global entity, a global sport, the way it's structured is very different than in America, where it is it is single uh, entity in America. It is owned by the billionaires, and uh, it's a very controlled environment. It's a completely different game than the, the rest of the world. Yeah, and, and I think the the thing that... I've learned in the last 48 hours, 48 to 72 hours, is I, 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 um, I keep thinking that as the U.S., as a soccer nation, as a football nation, gets more integrated in, 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 into the global game, that uh, the people who, who, who lead us in the United States and the people who cover the sport in the United States and those who work in the sport in the United States begin to understand kind of the culture and, and, and the uh, and, and the, the feel of the sport around the world. Well, what I'm finding is that's not the case. So the same arguments, the same conversation, Chris, you and I probably had over over coffee 10 years ago when I was working for the NASL, complaining about people around MLS, people around U.S. soccer. Uh, we could have again now. And I thought that they had uh, seen with the U.S.'s World Cup failure on the men's side, with the uh, explosive growth and interest in European football in this country and what was attracting those people to European clubs, that maybe their attitudes had changed. And in, quite frankly, based on the last 72 hours, I do not believe Major League Soccer or uh, a U.S.-based uh, domestic league that is a closed league can ever appeal to a lot of the fans who support Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A clubs in this, in, in, in this uh, country, let alone Bundesliga clubs, because that's completely different. That's 180 degrees from, from where MLS is. So, right. Um, I, I, I've learned a lot about uh, a lot of the people, I hate to say this, a lot of the people you and I talk to and work with uh, over the last 72 hours, that their their attitudes are very fixated based on what they've seen in the NFL and NBA and what they have covered in closed, uh, contained, kind of controlled 
circumstances and, and, and leagues, including Major League Soccer. And they think that they are somehow saving football mm-hmm. by importing this model to Spain, the UK, and Italy. When in fact fans, I, I don't know about the fans in Spain, but the fans in Italy and the fans in England clearly have shown in the last 48 hours they don't want any part of this. Yeah, I've lost a lot of respect for a lot of uh, fellow American soccer journalists, um, not not just this week, but in the last few years, where they just don't seem to get it. And, and we have to say, Kartik, you're American, I'm American, uh, we've lived in America our, 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 the majority of our lives. I love America, and there's a lot of the great things about America, um, the country where you know, I call home. This, this is my home. I've lived here more than I have in the U.K., and there's a, there's a lot of things I love about the United States. But everything that we dislike about the way that traditional American sports is structured, and I'm not a fan either, was encapsulated in the, in the Super League. There was no sporting merit, no relegation, no uh, authenticity. You had founding members that would always be there. You've got these billionaire owners that are... Uh, really kind of keep keeping those those teams running but uh, are in it for the money i mean it really really is something that i'm not a fan of nfl but it is really actually i'm I'm not a major fan i'm not a fan of the way that major league soccer is structured now i do appreciate different things with mls this past weekend one of my favorite games to watch this past weekend was miami against la galaxy it was entertaining it was lots of goals it was fun to watch um, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning to me. It doesn't hold me like my club, where I, I can say, okay, I'm, I'm a passionate supporter of my team, and I follow everything that they do, and I believe in the club. And I think the same goes for a lot of the, a lot of listeners and, and our readers. No matter what club you support, and it may be an MLS club too, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, everyone has plenty of choices, but we believe in that club. And I think that's... This week, Kartik, I mean, I think a lot of fans are probably thinking a little bit deep, more deeply about their passion and their support for their club. Because, I mean, whether it's a Liverpool supporter, I mean, the history, the, the tradition, I mean, Bill Shankly, everything about it. And then reading about the club and, and reading their statements from the Super, about the Super League and all the clubs, all those 12 clubs, I think those clubs, I think fans have lost a huge amount of disrespect or, or, or respect for their club. And um, it's embarrassing, I think, for some, some uh, supporters. But having yeah, said that, so- the, two, the, the journalists, too, in the United States, and I think part of that, Kartik, just, just one more thing, is that a lot of um, U.S. soccer journalists and, and also U.S. soccer fans, that's all they're used to is growing up watching NFL and seeing that model and thinking, okay, that's, that makes sense. It's, it's entertaining. This is Super Bowl. That's, that's the only way that, – that's the best way to run the business. I mean, and sometimes I think in, in many ways it's good to step outside that and see the big picture because this week was a perfect example of that. And to me, there is no difference between Major League Soccer and the Super League. It's the same thing. Oh, it's no, the same concept. Same thing. Same thing. Absolutely the same thing. And so where I come from, obviously, I, I was born and raised in the United States. Uh, my football club, my soccer club was the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. I was a ball boy when I was seven years old, 1981, uh, 1982. Uh, that wasn't seven years old, 1981, but 1982, 1983, I was a ball boy. Uh, that club will never come back now. I helped bring that club back. 
when I worked in the NASL and, and uh, was able to work for the club that had been my boyhood club, uh, even though it was a different incarnation of it. It will never come back now because of what you mentioned, the Miami team in, uh, in Major League Soccer that now has our ground. Basically, if we brought the club back, we could never get our ground back. So that's that's part of uh, the reality of the closed league system in the United States is that clubs disappear all the time. They're replaced by other clubs. They're seen as commodities. Um, I grew up as a big NFL fan. I was a big fan of uh, of the NBA. I was a uh, became a fan of Major League Baseball a little later in, in, in my life. Um, to, to me, now having experienced those sports they are thoroughly uninteresting they are like they are like uh teams playing one another right it's like one team playing their the same team over and over again to me because that's the structure of american sports it's closed it's uh it's multi-billionaires players are traded within their leagues but they don't come from outside basketball's a little different right because obviously it's more of a global game but effectively there's nothing interesting about it you don't hear about some great transfer that comes from Portugal uh, that that's impacting one of those those league games. This Super League, to me, was going to be the same thing. You were going to see Real Madrid and Liverpool play every week. You were going to see Manchester City play Atletico every week or every other week. And, and it was thoroughly uninteresting to me. It is absolutely positively was an effort um, to MLSize European football. And here's the thing I don't get. Okay, um, and and this this is this is this is the point that I'm trying to make the last 72 hours. The U the, the the U.S. has gotten away with one rules violation after another from FIFA. They have been allowed to form their leagues in in the most autonomous fashion. Their leagues don't have to conform to any of the the rules or structures. And I, I would even include leagues I've worked in. Okay, I, I'll admit, NASL we were we were for an open system, but at the same time we structured our league in a very traditional M uh, NFL. Uh, you know, American sports LLC way because the U S has gotten away with this time and again, and major league soccer has not, has uh, been able to have cross border teams. Uh, and, and the Welsh example, you know, I, I get really annoyed, Chris, when people come back at me and say, well, there are Welsh teams in the English system. It's a completely different situation. You support one of those clubs. Those clubs were grandfathered in and they cannot qualify for European competition via their own, their own country. They have to qualify via the English league. So unless Swansea wins the prime or finishes in the top four in the Premier League, they're never going to be in the Champions League, right? right? They cannot qualify for, for, via the Welsh Cup, whereas Canadian MLS teams can. But by violating rules about promotion and relegation, violating rules about cross-border leagues, violating rules uh, about the number of teams you can have in a first division, violating the, the way a, the rules about a way a league can be structured in the second division, that's not MLS, that's USL, um, you have set the precedent to people in the United States who cover the sport and also to people who might want to invest in the sport abroad from the United States that, that these rules don't matter. And these sanctioning bodies are just nuisances. They'll get out of the way if you throw enough money in, in, in people's faces. Right. So that was the premise under what happened this under which what happened this week happened. J.P. Morgan, John Henry, uh, Malcolm, uh, Joel Glazer, Stan Kroenke. These are the Americans involved. And Elliott Finance at Milan, and then obviously uh, 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 
uh, Perez and, and, and Juventus, you know, a couple of non-Americans, but people with a very kind of American sporting mindset had concocted this thing thinking because FIFA has made so many exceptions for the United States, they'll just get out of the way. UEFA's not going to fight this. Who are the supporters, right? They're consumers. They love their clubs. They're just going to they're going to buy tickets anyway. Or maybe they even thought the consumers would like this because Liverpool fans would want to play Real Madrid more often, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe they thought that. So a completely complete misreading of the situation. But I think the root cause of this comes right out of the United States and right out of the indulgence of the U.S. soccer system by by FIFA. I cannot stress that strongly enough. Yeah, the Super League, uh, the mission was to Americanize, was to revolutionize uh, world soccer, taking the, the, the top teams from uh, from Europe, I mean, which are many of the, the greatest teams in the world. And putting them into a business model that was a an, the NFL of soccer, and it's no surprise that the owners of a lot of these clubs, like you mentioned, a few of those Kartik, are American. So you got Stan Kroenke, who owns Arsenal. You got the, the Glazers, who own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who also own Manchester United. Um, Spurs are very much a, even though the owner is based in uh, the Bahamas, you've got uh, Daniel Levy. Who's... Yeah, yeah, but his son, his son actually lives in Florida, and Daniel Levy, who uh, fronts for uh, Joe Lewis, uh, uh, spends most of his time here in, in my area in Fort Lauderdale, in Florida. So they, they, I consider them American also with their yeah. ties to NFL and ties to AEG. Yeah, especially with the new stadium, and it's yeah. it's an NFL ready stadium. I'm sure in the next few years there will be an announcement about a London based NFL team, and that would be at the home of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, even AC Milan, I mean AC Milan, and uh, they're yeah. well. Actually, no, Ivan Gazidis, who is the uh, former deputy commissioner for MLS. Uh, Ivan Gazidis is the, I believe he's the uh, the chairman. Yeah, he's the chief. He's the chief executive there. And Elliott Finance is an American hedge fund, uh, 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 and they and they effectively own the majority of shares in AC Milan. Right. And you got Peter Buck, who's the uh, chairman of Chelsea. And you go down the list. I mean, I mean, definitely uh, Real Madrid with uh, Perez. Um, the I mean, Spanish, and, and, and not, not that we're focusing on nationality here, but but what, what I'm trying to say is that they were all in on it in terms of trying to figure out a way to go ahead and create an NFL model for soccer, which is effectively Major League Soccer, which is a closed uh, league, which is you mean uh, controlling the, the the revenue, controlling the money, and even if a team finishes bottom, there's no fear of relegation. This is a model that is perfect perfectly understandable by NFL owners and people that, that follow the NFL is that you mean it's a safe investment, which is complete opposite of what soccer is about or sports about, where it should be based on sporting merit. The, the, the teams that, that do well rise up and the, the teams that don't do so well uh, go down. And, and it, it's an up and down roller coaster for many of these teams and, and many of these fans. And I think they completely underestimated a lot of different things with this Kartik. I think they underestimated the reaction from the fans. And they thought, okay, if you're a fan of Manchester United, or if you're a fan of Manchester City, or whichever club it was, Real Madrid, Barcelona, no matter what your team does, no matter what league they play in, you will support that club. And, and yes, that is true, but to a limit. You I mean, it needs to be meaningful. It needs to be relevant. It needs to be authentic. It can't be just something that's created out of thin air. Going back to what you said before, too, I, I don't trust FIFA. I don't trust UEFA. Uh, the Champions League as it is, uh, and yes, it's been restructured now or revamped, 
Uh, I don't like it as much as as, as the current uh, Champions League um, s- setup. But FIFA is going to uh, serve itself the the way the way it it helps itself. So so in Africa, for example, FIFA is working on an African Super League. Well, that serves them very well in terms of a way to generate more revenue. Uh, And then FIFA then kind of disregards what's happening in the United States, where we effectively have a Super League, where we have teams from Canada and the United States playing in in a closed system. Uh, And there's been discussion, of course, about having maybe Liga MX teams joining that. that. So you might have a Super League in the future in the United States. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, this all comes down to money, of course, right? And... um, I think in many ways uh, we now have seen the wolves uh, from from the sheep's clothing. We now, I think all those all those twelve teams. I think there's going to be a huge amount of distrust and um, definitely question marks about these. I mean, to me, if I'm Perez or, or if I'm all these different executives within these organizations, uh, heading up these organizations, I mean, if I'm the fans, I'm urging them to quit, get, get out of there. I mean, yeah. we don't trust you. We don't. We, we don't trust you anymore. So, so, so a couple points. Uh, first off, Bruce Buck saw him walking into the Chelsea match uh, again at Stamford Bridge. Uh, saw a clip of it, and he looked spooked. How, how lucky? How lucky are there? There's no fans in the stadium, though. Oh yeah, my gosh! Yeah. Oh well, I think maybe they. One of the one of the things that made me think maybe they anticipated some of the backlash was that they pulled the trigger on this now before fans were back in the stands in England. They're not going to be back in the stands in Italy or Spain for a little longer. But I, I, that was one of my thoughts on, as to why the timing of this. Um, second thing, um, you know. You know People may think we're beating up on Americans. And like I said, I'm born and raised in this country. Chris has lived the vast majority of his life, uh, his entire adult life, in fact, in the United States. But um, the fact of the matter is, if you read and watch the U.K. media, this is where they're laying uh, the blame. So I watched Monday Night Football last night, and and, and effectively, uh, when they're, they're they're discussing how to, how, how to, how to beat this thing back, uh, Gary Neville says... Look, uh, I, I, Liverpool, uh, United, Arsenal, they're gone, right? They, they, this is the American way. This is the, the way the American owners think about sport. Uh, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to do this through Manchester City and, uh, and Chelsea. And then he went on basically a five-minute you know, plea to Manchester City's owners. Look, we, you, we know you're not like uh, the Glazers. We know you're not like FSG. You've invested in East Manchester. I've seen what you've done. Gary Neville saying this, being obviously a Mancunian. I've seen what you've done for the community. Don't, mm-hmm. don't cast your lot with these people. Um, and then I saw Graham Sunis today uh, say effectively, look, uh, I, I, I believe Chelsea and City might pull out because they're not owned by Americans. And then went, in, you know, and basically spent a lot of time talking about the American model and the way the Americans view uh, view sport, which is what we're talking about. And then I have seen countless print journalists in the UK talk about this, that this is a very Americanized way of looking at things. So Americans get defensive. A lot of people who I'm friendly with have gotten very angry with me in the last 24 to 48 hours, think that I'm being uh, xenophobic, which I'm being xenophobic against myself, I guess, then. Um, but the reality is you need to be self-aware, okay? These ideas, these the, the, the and this is, goes back to even the way the U.S. Soccer Federation conducts itself within FIFA. Everything is about money. Everything is about business. So they expected South American countries uh, to, to just uh, uh, throw uh, dump Copa America and do this kind of 
contrived tournament. You remember this, Chris, a few years ago mm -hmm. that uh, the U.S. was trying to create because they were going to throw money their way. And it's the same arguments I hear from the people defending uh, the American system and the American owners now basically saying, well, you know, you have to you have to turn these things into businesses. You have to run it like a proper business. And yes, like Chris said, I agree that there have been. There have been mistakes. There have been shady business practices. There is need, needs for reform. But fundamentally, you have to remember these clubs are community institutions. They are community clubs. They mean more to their communities than American sporting franchises do. And until you fundamentally understand that and respect that, you'll never get your head around what's actually going on and why this backlash took place and why the backlash is, ge is geared towards Americans. And no one's saying, ah, you know, those people from Abu Dhabi because of the Man City owners or those people from Russia because of uh, uh, Abramovich at Chelsea. They are, they are focused, laser focused. A lot of people in, in, in Britain and British working class, et cetera, on, on the Americans. Uh, last point I want to make. Um, I think we saw also what the sport means to the working classes in Britain with the way Boris Johnson as the prime minister stepped up, reacted, said, I'm going to use the government uh, to, 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 to I'm going to use my power, my bully pulpit and also possibly use parliament to reform the sport and stop this. And even talked about, hey, maybe we, we don't issue work permits to these clubs, uh, to players, uh, foreign players on these clubs because they are, um, they are uh, rogue clubs, etc. That tells you how much, regardless of what your opinion of Boris Johnson is uh, as, a, as a political figure, that shows you how much this sport means to the average uh, working class uh, resident in the United Kingdom. And how much these clubs as community institutions mean to the respective communities in the United Kingdom, that the prime minister got himself involved, threw himself in the middle of it, and there was unanimity you know, across the political spectrum from the far left in labor to the far right in the, in the Tory party. Yeah. Uh, PM let's, 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 uh, let's come together against these six clubs. So, um, Chris, I think the, yep. the closing point is these six clubs in the, in, in, in England and the three clubs in Italy, I'm not sure how the Spanish reaction is. I have to be honest. I, I haven't kept up with that, but I think the nine, the nine of the 12 clubs are going to face serious ramifications in their own countries. It, this isn't just, Hey, uh, we pulled out of this. You know, let's just move forward. I don't think it's going to be that simple in, in either England or Italy. And I assume also in Spain, although, again, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm Spain, Spain's a, bit, a little bit tricky because I think Real Madrid, there's definitely so much influence and so much um, kind of um, I guess, kind of self-love. You, that, that, you mean thinking that they're the greatest team in the world, which they are, if yeah. arguably one of the greatest teams, if not the greatest team in the world. And, and the you know, at this stage, if they continue the way they're going, they've got a really good shot of winning the uh, Champions League. But um, Spain's a little bit different. I, th I think, I mean, definitely, um, I would like to see the fans in the streets. In Italy, I could see that. Spain, I'm not so sure because, I mean, they're just so in love with Real Madrid. And no matter what they do, they want them to, to be the, the greatest team and, and continue to be uh, buying all these star players. And we've seen with Gareth Bale and Eden Hazard and others, it's, it doesn't always work out. And they end up spending a ton of money and go into a ton of debt. Um, there's a bunch of different things here, to, too, as far as still to discuss. I mean, I mean the, the, the political angle is interesting because if you remember just a few years ago when all of this FIFA corruptions thing uh, started and it was un uncovered that a lot of these 
corrupt deals happened on U.S. soil. So the Senate, the U.S. Yeah. Senate, had a hearing and they called to say, all right, the head of uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation, we want you to be there. And we want these other individuals from, from soccer in the United States. Let's have a discussion and a, and a hearing. And, and let's talk about the, to- the topic of corruption in soccer uh, in the United States. And the head of uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation, the president, Sunil Gulati, refused to come. He didn't go. And so he sent uh, one of his, uh, uh, I think it was well, secondary men, to, to go ahead and answer the questions. And it was a really bad look, too, because anyone that watched the video, direct questions were asked from the senators to um, the representation from the U.S. Yeah, soccer. Dan Flynn. Dan, Flynn. Dan Flynn, thank you. Thank you. The water carrier, I like to call him. And 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 he <laughs> he was... Uh, obviously, trying not to answer the questions, would uh, lean over and talk to his uh, legal counsel and try to figure out a way to answer it to to not incriminate anyone. And he, it was it was a bad look. But that was the end of it. It was supposed to be the first of many different Senate hearings, looking into it and discussing why all these things with Chuck Blazer, Concacaf, etc., happened in this country. And we know there's a ton of corruption. I mean, it's corruption everywhere, but there's corruption in the U.S. for sure. I mean, there's been tons of evidence oh, to, to yeah, show oh, it. Yeah. So, so, oh. so, so it was good. It was good to actually to have Boris Johnson at least kind of say, like, "Hey," and, and the education education secretary, they were serious about making changes to really prevent these clubs from um, even being able to, to buy players or figuring out ways to. Uh, prevent them from this European Super League from happening. So, yeah, full credit to them, absolutely. And a big, big part of the conversation now has been why specifically did Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich? Because first of all, they're going to have a European Super League without arguably the biggest club in Europe, and, and in my opinion, the best run one in, in, in Bayern. PSG. Um, so they were going to call it a Super League and not have the best club. Which, by the way, uh, when they when the announcement was made on Sunday, I was watching Gary Neville and. Um, the Sky presenter, whose name I, uh, I don't know, but read out the name of clubs, and Gary Neville right there said, did you say Bayern Munich? Are they not on there? And the presenter's like, no, they're not on here. And then Neville, Neville right there said, it's a joke, because they're the best-running club. If they got involved, I'd be concerned that it's going to happen. Right. Now I know we can fight it back, because obviously they would have gone to Bayern, and Bayern would have said no. And, and Neville was right, because that had happened. But there's been a lot of focus on uh, Bayern and Dortmund, because the German ownership model, which I have talked about a lot, maybe not on this podcast, but if you follow me on Twitter, there's a reason why um, I am a Bundesliga fan over other leagues. And and people then will mock me and say, wow, the La Liga is better than the Bundesliga or the Premier League is better than the Bundesliga. I'm not saying the Bundesliga is a better league in terms of quality of play than those leagues. Some years it is. I mean, I think last season, I think it was possibly the best league in Europe. This season, it's not. Um, but... It, the reality is it's that 50 plus one model that keeps clubs tied to their communities and keeps clubs. Maybe they don't operate uh, as businesses on the level Real Madrid uh, does or on the level that Manchester United does or all these American sporting franchises, New York Yankees and Dallas Cowboys, etc. But they are anchored community institutions. And I think a lot of people in England in the last 48 hours, Chris, started to really explore that German model and said, you know what? Maybe that's what we want Parliament to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult to unwind the arrangements you have now. But 
there's now more interest in the Bundesliga model as maybe a governing principle or an aspirational goal for the future uh, in English football. Yeah, if you remember from about a year ago, uh, the Bundesliga had a big uh, campaign, uh, like different TV commercials, banner ads, etc. And uh, it had a slogan, and the slogan was, football as it's meant to be. And it's true. Football is meant to be that way. It's meant to be run with uh, the supporters having a, a uh, ownership of, of clubs and uh, not these big I mean, billionaires owning, owning, owning these sites where they try to change all the rules in, in their favor. Um, the, 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 the thing about the German League, and, and, and I'm sure, Kartik, I, I don't want to talk, go into detail about this, but it's we've been waiting for years and years and years just for a challenger to buy munich just someone so it's not a one a one team league because still no matter how hard we try no how, how much we we want it to be whether it's uh, rb leipzig or dortmund or somebody anybody we need to have a contender to at least make that league interesting i think that's the only thing that's really missing to really yes. break it wide open and to make it more more popular and to bring more fans in because everything that the way that that league is run is done really really well now, yeah, Dor- Dortmund uh, took it to the final day two seasons ago, but otherwise, the last six or seven years, uh, with that exception, Dortmund has clinched, uh, uh, Bayern has clinched the title before uh, the last match day, which is a problem. Now, you you mentioned you said you, you watch Sky Sports News or, or uh, Monday Night Football, and then Sky Sports News on Sunday. And Kartik, yes. you're at you're at a an advantage. I'm at a disadvantage. So Sunday, I watched. Uh, NBC, NBCSN, and uh, I was really disappointed with the coverage. It was uh, Danny Higginbotham and Robbie Earl, and the news broke. It was, it was. Uh, you mean as these games were happening, um, it was on the fly. There wasn't a lot of time to prepare to kind of think about something really deeply. But the way that both um, both Robbie Earl and Danny Higginbotham, who ch- who are both uh, really really appreciate and value, they are good at what they do. But what it did show me in terms of their analysis and and what and their take on, on it, and the segment I watched, they focused on how this was going to be disruptive to the football pyramid, and that was their angle. And they talked about the football pyramid and how this could could really hurt clubs lower down the tables, which is true. But then Gary Neville. On their sister channel, Sky Sports. I mean, to me, Gary Neville with, and if you haven't watched it, look at uh, YouTube or uh, social media. You'll find it. It's all on YouTube now. It's yes. it's everywhere. Thing, yeah. So Gary Neville to me was the hero this week because he yeah, was well, so easily on Sunday to eloquently describe his really fear, frustration, anger. Anger is probably the best word. Anger at all these developments about this European Super League and how dare Liverpool, a club that's so community-focused, so focused on, I mean, the individual and doing everything right and and everything that they've done in the past, how dare Liverpool go ahead and, and do this, this, this greed factor? And, and of course, Manchester United and Manchester, and it, laying into all the, all the clubs. I, I thought it was really significant also because Neville said on Sunday, look, uh, some of my former teammates have been very outspoken about the Glazers. I've held my tongue all these years. 
basically. I've tried to be fair. Right. I, I, but then he unloaded. He has the same feelings that like Eric Cantona we know has about the Glazers. And and, um, and obviously he and his brother and, 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 and teammates of Class of 92 have invested in Salford City. So um, that, I think, was also kind of an indication that they're, that they're not thrilled with the Glazer ownership. But he finally crossed that line, which I think – Maybe if he wasn't um, in the position he was in at Sky, uh, Chris, he would have crossed 10 years ago about the Glazers. So he unloaded on the Glazers. And and the point I made about his Man City plea on Monday Night Football was he was contrasting City's ownership with the Glazers, with Liverpool and with Arsenal. He said, look, I I, I live in I'm obviously not a Manchester City fan. I'm a United guy, but I'm a Mancunian. I live in your community. I know what you've done. I know you are different, Sheikh Mansour. I know you are different city football group than the people running Manchester United. Why are you associating with them? Why are you going down this rabbit hole with them? You can pull out of this. You can be the heroes. You can pull away. And the next day, Manchester City, maybe not because of Gary Neville, but I'm sure it had some influence, Mm -hmm. pulled away. Yeah, and Sunday's coverage um, where the Gary Neville really kind of rants, really, um, it didn't come out on NBCSN, I don't believe, until Monday. So they, they missed the window. And that's a sister network that they have a relationship with, that they're, um, they're both owned by the same company, Comcast. So there's an opportunity to really leverage that content, to pull it in, to uh, use it, share it, uh, put it out on social media. But instead, on social media, it was, I mean, I don't know, Football Daily or all sorts of different accounts using that video from the Sky Sports from the the, uh, the Sunday rant from Gary Neville. Now, Monday and Tuesday, the coverage was much better from NBC yeah, Sports, yeah, yeah. where they were very opinionated. And the two Robbies, Robbie Musto especially, was very animated on Monday. Really, I mean, I think in many ways, um, being more open and honest uh, and about his feelings and about how he did not like this. This was something that this was really something he was against. And on Sunday's coverage, it seemed to be kind of almost like... Uh, and then they, I think Ahmed Farid, Farid uh, was uh, hosting it. Um, almost like they didn't want to try to upset the Premier League too much, uh, thinking that, OK, we've got a, uh, a rights window coming up soon. We want to make sure we renew the, the Premier League. Let's not go in, in too hard on Man United or Liverpool just in case we upset the, uh, the big wigs at the Premier League. I, I don't think that was the case. But that, me as a viewer, that's the feeling I got when I watched it. It was just too soft and too safe. And Gary Neville cut right through that and said, screw it. This is what I think. This is why you're paying me. And, and this is why I think this whole thing is a complete travesty. And, and that set the, the ball in motion because from Sunday onwards, social media, the internet, uh, opinions, talk shows, I'm sure – Things started moving very, very quickly. And, and here we go Tuesday, looking like it's going to be um, the end of the Super League before they've even kicked a ball. Yeah, and, and, and I think NBC did come through on, on Monday and Tuesday, though. Uh, Ahmed Farid uh, did a very good job of facilitating the discussion uh, on, on, on Monday, although you know a lot of it was canned. Robbie Musto was very impassioned. I thought Tuesday, as news is breaking on air, Liam McHugh is the perfect guy. He's a guy who does a lot for NBC Sports, not just soccer, other sports. So he, I think he's probably been in this situation before where he's had to handle breaking news. Uh, I'm assuming that from, from hockey or or college football or whatever. So he w- really facilitated the discussion well in terms of, of Chelsea and Manchester City and, 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 and the reaction and, and 
they did a very good job. Danny Higginbottom brought a a perspective of yeah, he's a former player also, but the perspective of a fan growing up uh, uh, to to uh, and being a Manchester United fan, which which he was, to uh, the discussion and, and standing on the Stratford end uh, as a youngster. So I thought NBC came through. But they didn't. They didn't on Sunday when the news broke, as you mentioned. And then I think the other thing that became very, very clear to me, Chris, again, is how dynamic ESPN is with their uh, with their talent at ESPN FC. How yes, they have the nightly ESPN FC show, which uh, w- 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 which has been all over this, obviously, the last couple nights. But they were able to tape certain segments during the day uh, with 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 their. Um, with their uh, certain clips, uh, with their talent, and release it on YouTube and release it on uh, Twitter, etc. cetera. Uh, also, uh, they were uh, very, very uh, aggressive about uh, s- sending out clips from, uh, from Gab Marcotti right. and Jules Lorenz and Mark Ogden. They're three reporters, right? Ace reporters, if you will, who are on the ground, who have the sources. Ogden, ha- you know, Augie has the sources with, all the, the, with the two Manchester clubs, especially. So uh, we were getting a lot of insight into why decisions were being made, uh, maybe in a way we weren't even on Sky from ESPN. And also, um, since we, are, we, we do focus on the media, I, I do want to mention Gab Marcotti, uh, kind of revealed in his mind why PSG was, uh, was leading the opposition uh, mm-hmm. of, among the big clubs to, to, to this thing, and, and why PSG, which we assume would be one of the clubs in any sort of breakaway, was in fact uh, on the FIFA and UEFA side, which relates to being sport. And the in sports multifaceted relationships with FIFA, UEFA, and then all three leagues, uh, Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A and various territories uh, that were impacted. So uh, that was an angle that, that people hadn't talked about. People just would say, hey, oh, PSG hasn't joined. Um, but Marcotti was able to get into that. And from a broadcast perspective, I really appreciated that because then I thought about it and said, yeah, that makes sense, right? Uh, if, if Nasser and PSG joined these, these uh, renegades, they would be jeopardizing the, their other business, right? They'd be jeopardizing VN completely, uh, which is dependent on rights from uh, footballing entities around the globe. Yeah, top class analysis from a lot of people at uh, ESPN, Sky Sports, uh, NBC Sports, etc. But Kartik, what does it say about Fox Sports and Alexi Lalas, where Lalas is, as far as I know, the only person that actually came out, uh, pundit-wise, uh, to uh, to be in complete agreement, saying that the European Super League is a great idea, and that you mean supporting it. What does that say? Uh, at least he's consistent. I mean, I, I I'm very offended by the people who are offended who who are fighting this European Super League, but are uh, prepping for MLS matches and think MLS is the greatest thing since sliced bread to hit the U.S. and then make give rationalizations as to why closed leagues, closed structures, structures dis- disenfranchised clubs that I've worked for, uh, as I've talked about earlier in the show. Uh, that structure is okay in the United States, but, you know, it's not okay elsewhere. So uh, I-, I respect Lawless. He's consistent. <laughs> Consistently wrong, though. I, I-, I mean, I like... Mean, I agree, he's wrong. But if you-, if you support MLS, you should be... You should have been waving the flag for the Super League. If you're an MLS guy, this Super <laughs> League is the MLSification of European football. How could you be on the other side of it if you love MLS? <laughs> it's true, though, because it, it, it is very hypocritical because you, ha- you have a lot of U.S. soccer journalists that are saying, you know, championing the, 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 uh, the fall 
of the European Super League and, and just talking about how great this is. This is the most exciting day I've had in a long time on Twitter. And at the same time, is prob- probably prepping for and getting ready to re- re- write and report about uh, Major League Soccer this weekend. And again, too, there's, there's nothing wrong with uh, supporting MLS or following MLS, but there is hypocrisy there where even it's two completely different systems um, and you can't, you can't be on both sides of the fence at the same time. So, so obviously, I think, uh, I mean, that's the thing. That I, I think there wasn't a lot of U.S. soccer pundits, as far as TV pundits, that were um, very vocal about this week. I mean, Twelman, and I don't think Twelman had anything direct in in his tweets that I saw, but you could tell that definitely. Um, I think he's more a man of the world that kind of he realizes yeah, yeah, in terms he, of he was a, he wasn't for that, right, right, right. Um, but I, I not that I went through and checked everyone's accounts or anything like that. But I just thought that was kind of funny that uh, Lalas was the only one. Yeah, but Chris, the other thing is others were, were uh, I think, offended by Gary Neville and, uh, and Graham Sunis and others. Uh, I, there were print reporters, as I mentioned, many of them, too many of them to mention, that single said, look, this is the Americanization. These are the Americans. These are American bankers. These are American owners. They got offended, and they're not self-aware to realize that this is actually the truth and that, they're, that right. the American model is being pushed on Europeans and they don't like it. And that's why, like I said, Gary Neville made this appeal on Monday Night Football. Part of his appeal was, hey, Sheikh Mansour, you're not American. I don't trust the American to do the right thing in Joel Glazer, but you're not American. You're not like him. That was part of it, although there was more to it than that. But, um, but some, I don't but, think but, but, but some, American but, but, pundits are self-aware enough to understand why people don't like Americans in poking their nose in all this stuff. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes the truth hurts. I mean, this could have easily been, say, an Italian uh, financier, an Italian uh, way that the, the Italian leagues are structured and making it very Italian. But the way that this whole Super League was structured was almost like taking the NFL blueprints and saying, okay, we want the same exact thing in Europe, and this is the way it's going to work. We'll, we'll tweak it a little bit just to give some uh, g- give a carrot at the end of the stick, but effectively this is an NFL model. To try and get sanctioned, basically, was probably the right. You mean keeping the five teams open? Well, and, and also saying, okay, we're going to put, we're going to invest a lot of money in the, in the game from the grassroots level and all these kind of really, which, which I'm sure they would have tried to do some of those things, but it was just really just like sweeteners to try and sweeten the deal a little bit to try to get, get it across the line. And um, I mean, the reality is the, the truth of the matter is the NFL model is an American model and it's effective for the, the national football league um, because they have no competition. I mean, really at the end of the day, it's, it's uh, if you're a professional American football player, I mean that that's that's all there is, and and I think in many ways that's what the owners of the Super League wanted. It's, it's, I mean the the slogan that they had was uh, the best clubs, the best players uh, every week, and that's and that's the NFL, right? It's the best players, it's the best clubs every week. That's what the European Super League uh, motto slogan was on their website. So um, so I'm happy. It really really pleased. That the supporters, especially, and and the media, played a huge part in in making change, in standing up, protesting, and um, really voicing their opinions. Because um, this, without the supporters and without the media working together, this would not have been accomplished this way. And, and I'm sure a lot of these owners are probably scared stiff of of the reaction and had no idea it was going to be like this. Contact TV ratings. Let's move on to that before we move on to the listener mailbag. 
TV ratings, some good numbers from this past weekend, encouraging to see from the first weekend of MLS. LAFC against uh, Austin FC, uh, Austin's uh, debut game, 485,000 viewers for this game on Over the Air Fox. Miami against the Galaxy, which was a great game. ABC, 482,000 viewers. Uh, you had the U.S. women's national team against France. Um, the friendly was 288,000. All in all, a good weekend for viewership. Listener mailbag, JP says, um, and this, re- this goes back to last week's podcast where we had a big discussion about dead rubber matches. JP says, in regards to the dead rubber match discussion of MLS versus the Premier League, it's all about the mindset of the fan bases. Uh, For the American viewers of these matches, there is a huge difference in how the leagues are followed. American fans of Premier League more likely to be neutrals for the most part, and fans of the league as a whole, they'll happily consume most matches provided regardless of the implications or lack thereof on the title or relegation race. For MLS viewers, it's mostly regional. I think you guys have uh, hit on this a few times before. Fans only care about their own club, not the league as a whole. Once playoff positioning becomes evident, they'll passively follow until the playoffs begin. I don't know, but for the Premier League fans in Europe, I suspect it's followed more like we Americans uh, who follow college football, heavily invested in certain uh, rivalries, even if the result makes no difference in championship hopes watching every game, even if the club is having a down season, etc. Roberto says, I wish the uh, talk about uh, Premier League uh, rubber ma- dead rubber matches compared to MLS mid-season games would have continued. Like JP said, for fans of a team, all games count in both leagues. On Chris's belief that somehow the playoffs make many games unimportant and Kartik saying too many teams make the playoffs, what this system does is keeping more teams in the mix. I agree with Kartik about many Premier League games having no real chance to be in the mix. Sure, promotion relegation makes uh, both the top and bottom competitive, uh, but for about half the league, it becomes apparent after a few weeks, which that I completely disagree with because you had, what, Tottenham, Southampton at top of the table, Aston Villa top of the table at the beginning of this Premier League season after a few weeks. Southampton and Wolves too. Wolves were top of the table for a little bit, I think, too. Wolves came crashing down. Southampton came crashing down. Spurs have been up and down all over the place. Um, yeah, so it, like uh, I think Roberto, sorry to chime in there, but you mean know, saying that that uh, half the league it becomes apparent after the after a few weeks is completely not true. I think this season was a bit of an exception to that. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. If you just look at this season, I think in other years, maybe not as much in recent recent years. I think what's happened in recent years is the title race has not been ter- terribly interesting most seasons, but uh, there have been races for fourth. Uh, at one point, there was nothing. I mean, I remember the late uh, late two thousands, right when the top four in the Premier League was the same every year. Maybe the order was different, but it was the same top four. And Everton would always seemingly finish fifth, and Villa would would finish sixth, right? I mean, there were several years in a row like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think maybe this season has been really competitive. Is that part of a cycle or is it because of, of COVID? Uh, we won't know until next season. Adam Hay says, um, I heard your podcast discussing VAR. Maybe you've hit the nail on the head. If each league had variations in implementation, I suppose it would have been harder for universal implementation. And, and Kartik, Oh my gosh, this this past weekend uh, was a perfect example 
of how MLS does VAR compared to other leagues from around the world. And MLS's version of VAR doesn't have as many cameras, doesn't have the, the lines, which is a good thing, but uh, makes bad decisions and just rolls with it. And then the perfect example of that was into Miami against LA Galaxy and uh, the first goal uh, by Miami, Gonzalo Higuain, uh, certainly offside. But uh, because it wasn't, wasn't clear and obvious and they looked at the tape and said, yeah, it's, it's, it's close, but it was ruled a goal. It was uh, ruled he was onside when it definitely was offside. So, so yes, there was um, very little delay. Uh, and yes, the game flowed a lot better. And yes, it's great to see goals. But the system is flawed because that, that system isn't better than... Now, the Premier League system is flawed too for a completely different reason because it, they're micro-analyzing every little instance that happens. Like somebody trips. Well, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it seems that way. I mean, there's, there's something innocuous and they go back and look at it and stop the play and wait sometimes... 20 seconds, sometimes two minutes to review it, get the lines out. And it's so frustrating. And that system is flawed. I think the Bundesliga one I've seen, that one still is the best one I've seen in terms of implementation. And even though the Bundesliga listeners will probably disagree with me, will definitely disagree with me too, is I've seen stuff in the Bundesliga too, where I'm like, no way was that a correct call. But but it does flow a lot better, and it does seem less involved in the whole viewing experience. Um, so I guess that whole—I mean, to me, it's the MLS entertainment versus the Premier League, where every game matters, and they're not—they're not equal. They're completely two different systems, even though they're still calling it VAR. Yeah, so so there might be. I, I mean, th- what you said might have might have some bearing on why. I mean, the Premier League every result, every little thing matters, and uh, it, it, MLS is more of an entertainment league because we've already spent half this podcast talking about the American mentality. They see this as entertainment and business. They don't see it as as a sporting competition, uh, or, or if it's a sporting competition, that's secondary to the business. Uh, but I do understand there was a disagreements between Mike Riley and Howard Webb specifically about implementation of VAR and how VAR should be implemented. And because of that disagreement, Howard Webb brought his version to the U.S. and Mike Riley stayed as the head of officials. Howard Webb is the head of officials now in the United States. Uh, those of you who are Premier League fans who lost track of him, that's where he is now. Uh, he's here. And, uh, and Mike Riley stayed as the head of the Premier League officials, and they interpreted it based on their own preferences. That's one uh, that's one piece of, 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 of analysis or speculation as to how the two systems ended up being totally different. But they are completely different, the, the way VAR is implemented in those two leagues, as, as different as they could possibly be. Chris says, uh, when it comes to Fubo TV, I agree with the view that they will be a major player in the soccer streaming wars going forward, partially because of how accessible they make finding the games despite the price. Prior to subscribing with them last summer, it was nearly impossible to watch Real Madrid and La Liga, La, La Liga games in general ever since being sports was kicked off of Comcast, of which I had a subscription at the time that was happening. I could only watch Real Madrid dur- during the Champions League. 
Uh, thanks to Fubo, I am able to follow Real Madrid every week. Plus, I can still watch the Premier League, and I have been able to follow Liga MX much more closely since Fubo has uh, Tudo NA Extra, which shows uh, those matches in English, uh, which is a plus for me since I'm still learning Spanish. Lastly, I have a question about the English rights for the Copa America this summer. My question is simply, who do you see getting those rights? And... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Fubo, Fubo gets them. I mean, because it's one of those things that there's just so much going on this summer with everything from the Olympics, uh, Euro 2020, the Gold Cup, and of course, Copa America in Spanish, right? Um, and I'm probably forgetting a couple of things too. There's so much going on in terms of tournaments this summer that I think the Copa America on the English language side is going to get lost in the mix. And I see... It could be it could be a Paramount Plus or it could be uh, a Fubo, um, a streaming sol- service coming in and saying, "Hey, we'll, we'll take those rights and we will show those games in English," which which will be great entertainment for sure. Yeah, um, you, you know, F- Fubo uh, could really create an, a unique model. Now, uh, let's see if this is a one-off or if they're going to be able to continue to acquire rights. And, and, and they, if they are, because I think think about just the unique ability to be a rights holder and a and a bundling provider. Uh, that's totally. that's a very unique space to be in. Okay, okay, Kartik, I'm going to put you on the spot. If the European Super League did happen and if it did take off and and all these clubs said screw the supporters we're going ahead it's it's happening um who do you think would have uh televised those games in the in the u.s um i was thinking maybe discovery plus uh, because of uh i i you it would have been tough for um rights holders of the leagues affected to to get involved so i don't think i think that would disqualify cbs uh, potentially ESPN, we're thinking, um, if NBC. La Liga were to end up there, right? NBC, and obviously NBC. Um, and then, but then I realized Discovery Plus, it has, uh, it has uh, Discovery has rights in Europe uh, for football leagues. So that would, that, that as a company, they may not have been able to. So, truthfully, it might have ended up being Fubo. It could have been Fox. Could have been Fubo. Fubo is connected to Fox. Or it could have been someone uh some streaming provider right it could have been netflix even though they have said they're not into live uh live programming but yeah that could always change that might have to change uh, as things change it could have been apple ah that was my pick i was gonna say apple tv i I think that's who it would have been actually now that i'm thinking about yeah somebody that has no rights at all when it comes to sports somebody that says hey we have a global footprint and we want to. Yeah, they make... would have gotten a global rights deal with Apple. Right. right. Yeah. 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 That's it. With with no no strings attached because they have no relationships with the Bundesliga, the Premier League, you know, in La Liga, etc. Uh, it really could have put them on the map, but it was not meant to be. Even if it was uh, them, Connor says I have noticed that all the streaming providers have upped their streaming quality frame rate to sixty frames per second in recent months, with one glaring omission. While games on standard cable channels, Paramount Plus and ESPN Plus look great, games on Peacock run at a noticeably lower frame rate, which makes the games on that pl- platform significantly worse and hard to watch in comparison. I was wondering what you guys thought of this, because in my opinion, if Peacock wants to be viewed as a serious platform for live sports, then lack of 60 frames per second support and no support for pro- pause or rewind 
makes it a bad look when compared to its competitors and even compared to games on NBC, SN, NBC. Now, Kartik, I know that you've had a different experience, though, right, watching Peacock? Yeah, so I, 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 are they uh, 30 FPS? Is that what we're, we're, we're determining? Because I, uh, although truthfully, recently, the I come to think of it, I haven't been as impressed with the picture. Uh, but yeah, there have been some matches. There was a match between West Brom and Arsenal uh, earlier in the season, which I, I felt was like a 4K uh perfect or 8k ultra you know is presentation it was so good so i i've seen some good peacock uh uh broadcast but come to think of it we watched peacock today for brighton and, and chelsea and no the it, it didn't look like it, it was as uh it was as crisp as maybe some of the the paramount plus cbs broadcast or espn bundesliga the espn bundesliga stuff uh, which i'm now watching often on hulu which we've talked about on a previous show is very consistently good i think the consistency of the Bundesliga, and Chris, I think we've been saying this for a decade, maybe. The Bundesliga has like this very consistent production that uh, whoever is streaming and whoever the rights holder, it just feels and looks the same. So that's maybe theirs is consistently the best. But at times, uh, I've seen Peacock uh, one-off matches, like I mentioned, that West Brom Arsenal game look really outstanding on my on my television. So Kartik is. I think coming up to see me uh, next month, which we're looking forward to getting together because it's been over a year since we've met in person. And you'll see my setup car ticket. And it feels, it reminds me of uh, if you went into, say, a back office of, of a Walmart or a, uh, uh, I don't know, a Target or, or a grocery store, and you went into the room, the security room, where they have all the, all the TV cameras, uh, all, all the cameras set up for all the different areas of, of the, the store so they can see like who's stealing or who's doing what. That, that's what it feels like when I'm watching games. So sometimes it's hard for me to focus on like the picture quality because I'll probably have three or four games going on, on at the same time, just trying to stay on top of it, trying to see what's happening. But um, the one thing I noticed today, and, and today being Tuesday, is I had the game on uh, Chelsea Brighton on Peacock on Apple TV. And the picture quality looked really good. And the second thing of all, and I think this is new, but it had it had pause and rewind. It, I was able to rewind because I missed something. I was like, wait a second. Did they just say whatever they said? And I was able to, on Apple TV, rewind it on Peacock and then play it and then, then catch up and fast forward back to live time. So I'm not sure if that's brand new, but, but the quick picture quality. Part of, it, part of it is the streaming device that you're using. So if you are using a streaming stick from Roku, which I, I, I think I have one or two of those, those are great, easy to use. But um, the picture quality isn't the greatest. You can get a more expensive Roku st- um, streaming device where the processing speed is much better and it's much, much crisper. So, so there are factors involved in terms of the picture quality. But um, I, I would, Connor, if, if you do have an Apple TV, try, try it on there and see what the difference looks like for you. See if, it's, um, if it is less frames per second. Pete says, I have always been a huge sports fan, but have just gotten into watching soccer over the last year and a half. Having Paramount Plus, this is the first time I have watched the Argentine League. Would you be able to give some background into how the league works, how it stacks up against the best leagues across Europe and other things to watch? And and Pete, um, I already responded uh, to you with a link to one of our articles on worldsoccertalk.com, which was a uh, beginner's guide to the Argentine League. 
And this is a really confusing league anyway. It keeps on changing. It changes names. It changes formats. It, it seems every season, they, they, it's so confusing. Even for us as diehard soccer fans, uh, I mean, they have like, like pre-tournaments uh, before the season starts. And then I mean, it, it's and, and sometimes clubs are relegated. Sometimes they're not. And then there's this, this whole... Um, Based on the history, they make it very difficult to get, actually have teams relegated. It is very confusing. So I, I can see how it would be difficult. I've, I've, I have watched uh, a bunch of games from the Argentine League. Um, I watched it last season on Fanatis. This season, too, on Fanatis, as well as on Paramount+. Plus. And um, it's good. The, the only thing I, I'm just disappointed with is the um, the TV production sides. Um, the stadiums are old and run down for the most part. Uh, the cameras aren't the greatest. The sound isn't um, top quality. So it, it, even though even though I enjoy watching the league, it does feel like a departure. It doesn't feel like it, it's as immediate uh, as some of the other leagues that really kind of pull you into into the match. Sebastian says, "Hey guys, I love the show and what you cover. It helps a lot with insights into the media landscape of soccer." I listened to your recent podcast about um, the the next MLS uh, TV deal, whether you were bullish or bearish, and you touched on a statement from JP Manning on Twitter about how the Premier League is done. There's nothing for most uh, teams to play for uh, for this season. And uh, one of the comments was mentioned um, on the podcast said, oh, I agree. There have been dead rubbers. I've said this for years in the Premier League and not just the Premier League, all the leagues around Europe. This narrative is dangerous and, and unfortunately pervasive. You have access to watch the top leagues in the world in a way that was impossible a decade ago. Some games are great, some not so much. But once you uh, decree some poor games as dead rubbers, you signal that they have zero value. They have value because they are part of the league calendar and have to be played for the league to be complete. So they do matter. Are they exciting? No, but that's football. The general football landscape has long been telling us that uh, telling us what matters and what nobody cares about. More and more, only the hottest stories about the biggest clubs get attention while anything outside of the heavy hitters is considered irrelevant. If it's trending on Twitter, uh, then it must not not be of interest to that, that it must if it isn't trending on Twitter, then it isn't it, there must not be of interest to anybody. You guys talked about the Premier League bias from many pundits out there. And that is just elitist. League Earn is talked about as a an irrelevant farmers league, yet it is probably the fifth best league in the world. What league is good enough for people to watch anymore? Really good comments there from Sebastian. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we try not to be elitist. I mean, I, I know you and I, Kartik, we have different tastes about what we watch. Um, I, I I will be a person who will flip through different games and different leagues, and I'm I'm looking for those moments, those magical moments, those memorable moments. So um, there's a lot of games I watch that I don't talk about. I mean, yeah, some of them are same. some of them are boring, right? Some of them are just like nothing really happens. Like if anything, sometimes there's games where there's interesting things happening in the, in the crowd more so than on the field. That happens a lot. So. Um, but we, yeah. So, so going back to Sebastian's question, what league is good enough for people to watch anymore? Like, what do you think, Kartik? I mean, league earned, do you think, uh, that's good enough? 
<laughs> that's very uh, right now. It's the best league in terms of a title race um, in the world. Four four teams separated by three points. Yeah, I think Liga is is one of the best leagues in the world. I think it also in terms of developing players, it's the Bundesliga and Liga are one and two in, in, in my opinion in terms of player development. Uh, in uh, uh, plan, uh, worldwide, I, I'm not sure which is one and which is two. I, I know that the, the, the uh, the uh, convenient narrative is Bundesliga one, uh, and then everybody else behind that. But I think Liga is al- is almost as good. So yeah, it's 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 a big time league. It's it's a league that people should be paying attention to. But I, I and I know this wasn't what uh, Sebastian's comment was about. But it's on DN, and that's the problem in the U.S. Yeah, and. And, and there are dead when we, when we say dead, dead rubbers, it means that not that the game has zero meaning, but that um, the result of that game is not going to have a ton of meaning. It's not a title race. It's not a relegation race to avoid relegation. Uh, it's not a game that's going to uh, determine who's going to qualify for a, a European place um, or, or some next, next round of, of a tournament or whatever it may be. It's just that the game is of less interest uh, to us. And it doesn't mean there's anything bad about that league. It just means that it's just of no interest. So usually usually I won't watch those games. I'll flip over and I'll watch the Dutch league. I mean, to me, the Dutch league is one that we talk about so little, but to me is very entertaining. It's The level of football is good. It's good open play. There's not a lot of like heavy fouling. There's a lot of history. Um, you see some interesting grounds and stadiums that you wouldn't see normally kind of in, in top top leagues. Um, I know, Kartik, you want to watch a, a ton of women's soccer. When I've watched um, the uh, FA Women's Super League, I've been really impressed by the, the quality level there. Um, pretty much, I, I'm always looking for soccer. So um, no matter what league, I, I mean, I have my favorites and I have the ones that uh, it's almost like movies. I mean, I'm into foreign movies. I'm into documentaries. I'm into uh, kind of quirky, crazy, like types of films, and and those are the ones I gravitate to uh, uh, to and, and watch more often and, and try to find ones similar to that. And someone might be into action or comedy or drama. Uh, you, you seek what what you enjoy, and and we all have different tastes. And and that's one of the reasons reasons I love world soccer is that you do have that that choice uh, to really pick and choose from around the world. Yeah, well said, and, and I second the recommendation of the Dutch League. Uh, since it's been on ESPN+, Plus, I've watched more and more of it. Uh, I've, we've had access to it before, but uh, I, I, the, the matches are, are super entertaining in that league, uh, particularly among the top clubs. And, and by the way, I uh, should mention, uh, speaking of the Dutch, I, I, I uh, also run a, a, an adult amateur league uh, here in South Florida, and uh, it's in Brafide. Uh, who was a World Cup runner-up in 2010 and, and uh, was uh, an important member of, uh, of FC Twente uh, under Steve McLaren, uh, left back, winning the, the league title, Everdesi title in 2009, I believe it was, uh, was at, at one of our matches this weekend. So that was uh, kind of cool. That's really cool. All right, last but not least, uh, Disco George, who I discovered is uh, a woman, which is great. Uh, which, which is a really, really great um, username there. Disco George says, The last 24 hours have been wild in Soccerlandia. NBC is definitely leveraging that Sky coverage right now on Premier League mornings. And yes, I mean, I think, I think this past week, they've finally got it. They're, they're starting to incorporate some of that Sky sports coverage into 
what they're doing. I think the challenge that they have is is trying to balance it because they don't want to undermine the two Robbies and Danny Higginbotham and Rebecca Lowe and Liam McHugh and Ahmed Farid, who are all very qualified and deserve a lot of airtime. They don't want to give all that airtime to Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, etc., etc. But I think in this past week, we've definitely seen more of a conscious effort to pull more of that in. And I'd like to see see a way, if they get the rights for, you mean, for the, the next window, is to do more of that. Honestly, uh, I, I, unfortunately, Carragher does it all for a lot. I, well, I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on on the show. I, I having watched him more of him this week than I ever have. Uh, he, does, he 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 has some decent takes, but and maybe it's not his fault. He's in the same studio as Gary Neville. Well, he's, Gary Neville is the star. Yeah, the, I mean, I mean, just, I mean, Jamie's really more the entertainment of the entertainer, yeah. and and Gary's the uh, and, then, and then the educator. And I think the, yeah, Carragher is so sensitive. He's so Liverpool centric and so sensitive that a couple of ah, times the last Neville is too. Days, as far as Man United, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's bad. Yeah, uh, I mean, as a player, yeah. I mean, I remember the match where he won Peter Schmeichel's hand with the derby with City, <laughs> right. after Schmeichel signed with City, and just, he stared at him, and Schmeichel started laughing. Right? Yeah. Um, but um, Neville, but anytime. Uh, Neville levels of criticism at Liverpool, even during the Super League thing, it was like Carragher was getting sensitive about it. Um, but we know Jurgen Klopp got sensitive about it, which mm-hmm. um, I, that wasn't Neville's intent. I had, I had watched live on Sunday when he, when he said the things he said that uh, Klopp felt compelled to react to. Uh, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so anyway, yeah, they, they need to. They're leveraging more of Sky's coverage, and and and. Uh, as Disco George points out, they they uh, they I think realize this week particularly the value of that. Yeah, even last week there was a little bit more of what we've seen from them than before. And I mean, the reality is is that right now the Monday Night Football Show, which we don't get to see, but it's on Sky Sports, it's in the UK. But that right now, and it has been for a few years, is the hottest soccer analysis show in the globe, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm concerned. And there's, I mean, Comcast, I mean, NBC Sports can leverage that, can can incorporate that a little bit more than what they're doing. Um, I really just think that they're missing out. And, and yes, this year has been, I mean, this past oh, more than twelve months now, crazy as far as coronavirus and all, everything that's that's changed. But um, hopefully, hopefully they'll they'll, they'll continue, continue oh, pardon me, continue to do that. Um, not not just for the sake of doing it. Because sometimes Sky Sports' coverage isn't good. Sometimes it is kind of uh, repetitive or some of the pundits that they have, I, I don't value that much. They're just talking heads. Um, Jamie Redknapp's probably a good example of somebody that uh, they interviewed. And I'm like, he's just not saying anything. You mean like yeah. uh, I, oh, many that, soccer fans know more than say. he does. I, I, that was what I was actually going to say, Chris, is that I think the value of Sky Sports coverage of the Premier League comes with MNF, with Monday Night Football, because of that Carragher-Neville uh, dynamic. Again, I don't rate Carragher as a pundit, but but you know he is entertaining, and Neville is is the best but what in, if, in the English language now. What if um, what if what if the Pe- rest of the weekend I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. Right, but what if Peacock offered that as a, an exclusive? If you subscribe to Peacock, you will get Monday Night Football. Uh, live and and on demand every, every Monday. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm finding ways to watch it, as I think the listeners are. Uh, in, we don't advocate necessarily stuff, but VPN. Um, 
I, uh, I'm finding ways to watch it. Uh, and this week I had to have it, right? I, I was, uh, uh, I was geeking out on it for obvious reasons, but yeah, it, it, that would be a good idea uh, and leverage that relationship. Now they, they, they've done a good job Peacock with the premier league channel. Although in times like this, the premier league channel is useless, right? Because they weren't going to talk about this at all on, on the official, um, on, on that official channel, obviously. I mean, I assume they didn't. So, uh, yeah, maybe Sky is more useful. So, listeners, we want you to have your say. We've covered a lot of ground in this episode, of course, about uh, the Super League and uh, many other topics. And uh, we definitely welcome your feedback, your observations, uh, your critiques, your analysis, your questions about watching soccer on television and streaming, etc. So you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com where we, we're going to have a big announcement on Wednesday so Wednesday 8am eastern time on Wednesday uh, check out the site for a big announcement and Kartik where can they find you on, uh, on twitter if they want to read more about some of your insights into uh, some of these uh, developments as they happen yeah, uh, KKFLA seven three seven. I'm hopefully we're not reporting on any more uh, news uh, in the <laughs> or uh, Super League breakaway news in the next uh, next couple days. But that's where you can find me, KKFLA seven three seven. It's been uh, it's been twenty four seven of this for the, for a few days now. Yeah, and my personal account on Twitter is uh, the Gaffer, and uh, the news account and, and a lot of the analysis that we give is at World Soccer Talk. All right, Kartik, so hoping that there won't be any uh, scandals or uh, who knows, uh, Super League 2 coming anytime soon. Hopefully that won't disrupt anything. Hopefully we can get back to actually concentrating on the soccer uh, because there is still still much to play for. There's still some title races, some playoff races. There's another week of Major League Soccer. Soccer from around the world, no matter what your choice is. Uh, So what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 